Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Wow. All hope in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, I can smell that dinner cooking. How many of you are staying for lunch? How many of you haven't signed up for lunch would like to stay for lunch? Oh, I tell you, it's good to be part of a church that's living and active and how God is moving by his spirit. Um, I'm going to continue a message that I began two weeks ago about God's metric. And um, uh, we're talking about judgment. What does judgment mean? Is it right for us to judge others? And uh, how does it feel to be judged? You know, I, I think that doesn't feel great. I don't know about you, but that doesn't feel great, does it? So I want to unpack a little bit of that and talk um, some, uh, a few more, and, and maybe I'll finish the sermon today. Maybe I'll just chat to you. Um, either way, we're, we're going to hear from the Lord. Let's just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, your son, Jesus Christ, that you came to give us life and life to the full. And it's the enemy that would come to steal, to kill and destroy, but you have come to give us that abundant life. And Lord, we choose today to walk in your light and walk in your life and, and um, receive everything that you have for us and ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, ne- next Sunday, I know the, the clocks are going, which way are they are going? Backwards. Falling backwards, that's the one. Um, but we also have a, a friend of mine, Mark, uh, Mark Mills Power, coming to preach next week. And he has a really prophetic gift. And um, I mean, he's like nine foot tall. He's a lovely man. Um, he's not nine foot tall. Um, but he has a real prophetic gift. And, and I was thinking about it, you know, how, you know, we don't want to just hear a nice story. We don't want to just... Uh, read a scripture, we actually want the spirit to come alive in us and we want to hear with, with more than just our natural ears but our spiritual ears and engage um, with what God is saying to us today. So I'm really excited about him coming um, to preach. But we're talking about God's metric or God's standard and what standard does God use? You know, Jesus was very critical of the religious leaders of his day. They would say one thing with their mouth, but yet in their hearts, they were far from God or they were distant from God in their hearts. And he said to his disciples, whilst their words don't match their actions, you know, I expect a standard of righteousness from his disciples that exceeded those of the Pharisees or exceeded what they told you how they were righteous, whether they were living it or not. See, outwardly, these religious people were, were pious, but Jesus had this gift and this ability to be able to look at the heart. And he encourages disciples to do the same in John 7, 24. He says, don't judge merely by what's on the outward appearance because God judges on the heart. You can see where Samuel was, was choosing a king and God said to him, listen, David's a little fella, but don't judge him by his, his size or his red hair or, or his, his, his looks but see what's on the heart. And we know that from the Psalms. You just have to read the Psalms of David. And out of his heart comes this amazing worship. And God saw that. God saw what was in the heart. Um, 
So God has a standard, if you like, by which we are judged. And we as, as human beings are not of that standard. I know that's the most obvious thing we could ever say. But Christ is the ultimate judge. He is that standard of perfection because perfection is always a judge. But this is why Christ needs to be our example of godly living rather than a fellow human being. And I think if we exalt others to a place where we worship them, I don't know if that's the quite word, we um, try to emulate their lifestyle, try, oh, I wish I could be like so-and-so, or I could be like that, maybe I would somehow elevate myself out of where I feel about myself, and then we've, we've judged someone else as their life is perfect. And, of course, when we find out their life is not perfect, um, you know, we think then, where are we aiming to? What are, what are we striving towards? What standard are we striving towards? And it's almost like that striving towards is also a striving upwards. Because I think we have a direction in life that we're supposed to be going. I think it's more than a metaphorical direction. I think our life has to have that goal, it has to have that aim. But if there is an ideal way that we should be living, how do we feel when we fall short of that? How do we feel? But having an aim in life, even if it is some lofty goal that seems unobtainable to a human being, it's vital that we orientate our lives in a direction. I remember... I don't know, it was, uh, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, I started to ride a motorbike. Um, people say midlife crisis, but I'm, I'm not sure the word crisis was there, but midlife was there. Um, and uh, I had this problem doing a, a U-turn, a turn in the road. And uh, the instructor said, the problem is you're looking at the curb. The, the, the solution is you need to be looking where you're going. And, and you can imagine me on my little 125, can't you? <laughs> And you're, you're trying to turn in the road, and you're looking there. That's where the bike's going to go. And he said to me, simply turn your head to the direction you want to go. And without knowing it, you, your body, your arms, they follow. And I think that's true in life. When, you know, Jesus, the ultimate standard of perfection, the judge, you know, he says, look to me. That's all he says to him, look to me. And could it be somehow in, our, in the psychology of our lives, the thing we look to, towards is the thing we tend to just gravitate towards and to follow. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. That ideal of lifting up Jesus in our lives, that highest thing that we value becomes God to us. Even those that say they don't believe in God probably have some kind of higher bit, higher value of which they orientate their life towards and it becomes God to them. So the highest thing in our value system becomes God to us. And I was thinking, you know, we ought not to elevate anything in our lives beyond God. You know, sometimes we might ele elevate our, our sickness what does that mean to elevate your sickness or your um, issues that you have in life above God? They become God to you. 
But if we say to our issues, our God is bigger, our God is stronger, our God is bigger than sickness, our God is bigger than disease, you know, and I'm orientating myself towards Christ and not on my issues and my anxieties and my depression and, you know, whatever I've, I've you know, made me draw within myself. So all I can see is myself. Some of these sicknesses, they're very self-centered sicknesses. And it, beca- it causes us to only look inwards when Christ is saying, if you lift me up, I'll draw unto you. I know these things are very real. and I know people are struggling with these things. But when Christ... Paul said, was exalted to the right hand of God. That's the judgment seat of God. We are seated together with him in heavenly places. And it's that visualization that not only is Christ the judge of the living and the dead, but we are seated with him together in heavenly places. What a revelation is that? You know, that seems so high and unobtainable, but as we visualize that, we begin to elevate Christ in our lives and we have a direction, an upward direction in which we are looking. And, and it's to have that goal, isn't it? To have that thought, you know, that, that Paul said, I discipline myself that I may obtain the highest goal, which is the upward call in Christ. To have a goal means we have an idea where we're going and we're no longer directionless going through pointless suffering, but we move forward in life to a better way of living means that the forwards is also an upwards. It's that upward call means that we come into a higher and a better place. You see, Moses climbed the mountain and the mountain was covered in um, fog, wasn't it? In the sense that others couldn't see where he's going, but Moses had that vision to climb the mountain and become uh, and, and speak to God. And that forwards is also upwards in more than just an abstract sense, I would say. Because sometimes when we're down in the valley and we look up to the mountain and all we can see is the fog and the, the cloud, you know, we can feel that, you know, we f- can feel lost. But Moses climbed the mountain. And sometimes, you know, he said he took the elders with him, he took Joshua with him, he took Aaron with him, and they were climbing the mountain together. And Moses, we know, was a servant of the Lord. Paul said to the church in Philippi, he said, Not that I have already obtained this, or I have already reached my goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ made me his own. Oh, I love that. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this thing I do, forgetting that which lies behind. I wonder if that's a secret to learn in, in somewhere there. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. The highest ideal he's pressing towards. And he could feel in himself that I haven't got there yet. And I think that's an encouragement. Because Paul, I think, is, is way higher up the mountain than I, I feel about myself. 
But he's saying, yes, and I'm, I'm moving forward, I'm moving upwards, and the ultimate version of the highest ideal uh, is, is also what judges the standard by how high we climb the mountain. The highest ideal is always the most intense judge. And when we feel judged is because maybe we feel, we see ourselves in comparison to that highest ideal. And it's also the, the case of when it comes to the, the terror of judgment. The terror of judgment is proportional to our distance from the ideal or the ideal goal. Or maybe that goal is the ultimate uh, goal and then we feel the further we are away from that, the more judged we feel. And it's the, it's the gap between where we're at and where we know we should be. So what the world does, as opposed to us Christians do, is they try and do away with that judge. So if I want to feel better about myself, then I can either continue to strive towards the goal and the standard of perfection and the ideal of which I'm called to, or I can do away with the idea of a judge completely. So we get into things like moral relativism, which then becomes, well, I decide what's right and wrong. And I wonder if that's Adam and Eve's problem too. Um, but when we get into that moral relativism, as in uh, there is no ideal standard of morality because I can make it up for myself and you be you, you're you, you're great how you are and you're thinking actually no, my life's miserable and terrible and, but I'm okay how I am. So, well, well, that's it. There is no moving forwards and upwards. There is no where, place I can go from here so I'm stuck if I don't have that ideal. And often the other thing that people do is try and bring others low and rejoice when um, people who are considered great then fall and we see their humanness. And there's a kind of sadistic kind of um, pleasure that people get in that. It's like, see, they thought they were better than me. Because you felt judged by them. You saw their standard of perfection, you know, and the paparazzi are all out trying to take pictures of these celebrities without makeup on, um, without all the air brushed on. And then everyone goes, yeah, see, that's what they look like on a Monday morning. And, uh, you know, try and bring them down to our level. I remember years ago working in a, in a call center and everyone knew I was a Christian. Everyone knew that, um, uh, you know, what I believed and I wasn't shy of, of sharing it. But any little thing, you know, they were watching if I stubbed my toe and I said a wrong word. They're like, oh yeah, you call yourself a Christian. You know, or, you know, whatever. And, and you can feel that trying to, when the world feels judged, they try and either do away with God and that standard of perfection or they try and bring everyone else down to their level. You know, and when you're at work and you refuse to participate in gossip, and you say, no, I'm not talking about it, all of a sudden they feel like they're doing something wrong. And they feel judged and then they're looking to, to, to bring you down or if you go out for a work lunch or something and everyone's getting drunk and you refuse to get drunk, it's almost like you think you're better than me. You're judging me. And it's like, no, I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. And I think part of the reason I think that modern people are interested in destroying ideals or, or, or destroying these things is because they feel judged. 
but we have an ideal that is in Christ and we aim towards that ideal, in some sense we know we're not going to, to make it. That what would Jesus do um, banners, you know, which were so popular, or the banners, the little wristband things, I think they seemed helpful, but actually my life, they were also a judge at the same time because I'm not doing what Jesus would do. Um, so if we can do away with the, the ideal standard or we can make up our own standard, we do away with the idea that there's a judge, we do away with the idea that there's a God and somehow we're free to kind of live our lives and you can't judge me um, because I, I decide what's right and I decide what's wrong. But the problem with that, and psychologists have identified this, that they've determined that happiness in life or, or joy in life or satisfaction comes not necessarily at the end of achieving your goal, but it comes in the incremental steps towards your goal. So if you're making strides towards your goal, you can feel this sense of happiness and joy. It, it comes as we walk it out. Life is a walk, isn't it? It's a, it's a direction that we're moving. So the problem is, if we do away with the ideal, the judge, the perfection, um, how do we know the steps that we are making are actually going somewhere. That's why the scripture, I think part of the reason the scripture calls people without Christ are without hope and they're lost. So Paul is saying here, I'm stepping towards the upward call and this is where I'm finding satisfaction. This is where I'm finding my joy, my happiness because I'm directed in a place. And this, that, Incremental improvements brings positive emotion. But then if you don't have an ideal, a goal, a judge, you don't have any positive emotion because you don't have that ideal. And that positive emotion is experienced in our movement towards an ideal. When modern people say there's no God or decide for themselves what's wrong, right and wrong and become self-defined, if you scrap the ideal, you, you have no happiness. If you scrap the ideal, then there's nothing that brings us together that we can unite and move together forward in the same direction. If we scrap the ideal, we invite into ourselves anxiety and chaos. If there's no ideal that unites us, then we're always trying to judge one another or compete with one another and judge and justify our own actions or inactions by our own standards. And I think that's a slippery slope. If you get rid of the ideal, you lose your joy and you invite chaotic anxiety. You wander aimlessly and you are lost. This is, friends, why we have to preach the gospel, the good news. This is why we have to preach that Jesus is not only the saviour, but he's also the judge. And if you refuse to hear my words... You are already condemned. Jesus says that in John chapter 3. It's the verse we love to quote, isn't it? That uh, uh, God sent his own son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not be condemned but receive eternal life. Then he says, but those who don't believe have already been condemned. And I think it's that um, condemnation comes when we don't believe, when we don't have that knowledge of that saviour which simultaneously is a judge. 
But when we have a firm goal in life, when we have a direction, when we make every effort to come towards that objective or that aim, it's more than we know where we're going, like if we're driving, but it's more in a metaphorical sense that we know where we're going. No direction means no meaning. If there's no meaning, then when we suffer, we're suffering pointlessly. But Paul and the apostles, you talk to them about suffering, and they knew that they were suffering with a purpose, which makes suffering bearable. Because one thing in life is sure is suffering. I mean, the symbol of the Christianity is the cross. It's central to suffering. Suffering is central to our belief. And we know Christ suffered, but there was meaning and purpose in his suffering. So the scripture says he bore it and kept his mouth shut, didn't curse when he was cursed. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you see, he was able to bear the weight and the sin of the world because he knew he had meaning and purpose behind what he was going through. Now, if Christianity has told you the story that you're never going to suffer when you become a Christian, (laughs) that life is great and nothing in your life will ever go wrong, I'm not sure who sold you that, but get your money back. Literally, get your money back. Um, I'm not disparaging some people, but uh, anyway. We suffer, and if we're not suffering, we know someone who's suffering. And isn't that the truth? But is there meaning behind suffering? Do we have purpose in our life? Or are we just, you know, some random blobs that somehow randomly appeared on earth that one day are here and next day are gone? I I don't know how people live without that. I don't know how people live without God, without understanding what Jesus done for them. So judgment, we're talking about judgment, the measure of judgment. And if modern people dislike being judged because someone is better than them or appears to be better than them, you know, they aim to bring them down because inside, you know, even though they're told, you know, you're great, you're you, you're fine inside, they know they're not all they could be. And I think we all understand that in a sense, don't we? We all know that we're not what we could be. But we know that we have a goal and an aim and we know that we have a judge, which is also the ideal standard of perfection that we are walking towards. Not that we have already obtained, but we're pressing forward. And I think that's what helped Paul through, through his suffering. He realized that Christ, this is Philippians as well, Christ humbled himself, became a slave and died the criminal's death that he might become the king of kings and the lord of lords. But scripture brings a reality check to us, doesn't it? It's, it's the notion that we're all lost and hopeless without God. And I think that's a message that maybe isn't talked very much. That what happens if we die, what happens if we live a life without God? And people preach these on the streets and then they get arrested even in our own country for preaching these things. The scripture I have today, you didn't think I was going to go with the scripture. I know I've gone half an hour without doing one. That's so unlike me. Luke 6, 37 says, Do not judge 
and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And I think Jesus here is describing how the world works. He's talking about judgment, condemnation, and he's talking about forgiveness. And I think, we're, I always think, you know, that given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, I always think that is a positive thing, you know, that I love for, forgive somebody, and I give that to them, and it's coming heaps back on me. I've always read that as a positive, but then I've not read it as the judgment by which I judge others. Hey, that's going to be heaped up and planted on your lap. And that condemnation that you're condemning someone else with, yes, that's going to be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over with the same measure. Jesus, this is part of Jesus' thoughts um, also in, in Matthew and in Mark. And it's part of the Beatitudes and Jesus is turning things upside down. And in Mark, he says this, Mark chapter 4, pay attention to what you hear, the measure you will give will be measured back to you. And still more will be given to you. For those who have, more will be given. And to those who have nothing, even what they do have will be taken away. And in Matthew, he says, In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And many take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And few find it the golden rule isn't it there from Matthew this is again I think turning the world's expectations upside down but it's also saying how it is to live the life that you're called to live is a narrow path and if you're going to choose a path you have to make a judgment you have to make a decision so I'm not sure that Jesus is saying uh, all judgment is forbidden I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, be careful on the measure which you use. In your heart, if you are condemning somebody, be careful because that has a way of coming back to you. And if it comes back to you, it's going to come back hard. And I don't think Jesus is like saying, this is a great thing. I'm just saying, this is kind of how the world works. If we judge unrighteously or we judge with an evil heart, it's reflected back to us. But we have to make judgments and assumptions every day. We have to be able to think. We have to be able to make decisions. You have to know which way to turn, which road to take. And I don't think he's talking about that kind of judgment. And Paul would say when uh, he had trouble with the Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians 11, he says, we judge ourselves. If we judged ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So it seems we're allowed to judge, but we are to judge in a righteous way and perhaps judge ourselves first. Jesus says, take the uh, speck out of your own eye before you aim to deal with the log in someone else's. But non-Christians have picked this up or unbelievers have picked this up with the thought that Christians are never allowed to judge. You know, because they want to do away with uh, the judge altogether. And then they go, okay, well, it, Jesus even said it. You're not supposed to judge. And it's like, who are you to tell me what to do? 
Who are you to tell me what to do? But I think there's a difference between wise judgment and condemnation. Let's read John chapter 8. And I'm closing shortly. I'm not really. I just don't know why I said that. No, I am. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman that was caught in adultery. Making her stand before all of them, they said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Just her, not the, not the man, apparently. Uh, yeah, okay. Now in the law, Moses said we should condemn, we should stone such a woman, but what do you say? They said this to test him that they might bring some charge against him that he had broken the law. Jesus, interestingly, says nothing but bent down, wrote with his finger in the ground. There's been lots of speculation that what Jesus was writing in the stone there in the ground. Um, perhaps he was just bringing out the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure. And they kept on questioning him. And finally he straightened up and he said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and he wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Interestingly, how the woman is judged by the holy law. The holy law cannot be wrong. But cleverly, Jesus says to them, Judge yourself first. And then, if appropriate, take action. Notice the only one that was standing there was Jesus himself. I think if anyone righteously could have taken up a stone and thrown it, he was probably, definitely, the only one there left standing. And I think Christ's compassion is revealed here. He could have brought the condemnation, but he didn't. And he, he says to her, do not sin anymore and I think I'd like to think that that was a new day for that woman I'd like to think that she became a follower of Christ that day I'd like to think that she took that second chance and did exactly what Jesus said and dedicated her life to following Christ I mean we don't know but that's what I like to think anyway I like to think that there's a happy ending to that but it's that command, and I think Jesus' command also comes with his empowerment. It's like there's a way of living that Christ says to us, and his Holy Spirit speaks to us and, and uh, brings us into a place of repentance where we know what's wrong, and the Holy Spirit helps us move towards that. Because the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I love that. I wish I could have time today to just unpack that a little bit. But it's almost like, yes, there is a standard by which to live. And Jesus is really clear that this adultery is wrong. He's really clear about that. And Jesus spent time with sinners and he was, he was judged for that, wasn't he? 
because he spent time with sinners and he was judged as guilty as those sinners of which he, guilty by association. So he doesn't condone what she's doing, but I think Christ empowers her to live the life of the high standard of which God calls us to in Christ. Jesus calls Matthew, doesn't he? Uh, Luke 5. We got that one, yeah. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, those who are well do not need the physician or the doctor, but those who are sick. I came to call the, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. You know, Jesus' association was not that he was just one of them. Wasn't just a common man, but he had aim and purpose. And I think that's what kept him from falling short of God's standard is because he knew what he was called to. He knew the direction that he was supposed to go. He was not ashamed to be seen with those who are of ill repute. Christ's confidence in who he was, where he was going, he kept his focus and he was able to associate with others that people would call unacceptable. And he was judged for that. But I think he's very clear with the woman. He's very clear here. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came to call people to repentance. Repentance, you remember, is turning around. And we know when our life has gone in the wrong direction. Do you ever feel like your life has gone in the wrong direction? There's decisions you've made, things you've done that you regret. You know, and, and the proper way is to turn around and begin to walk the right way isn't it? And I think the Holy Spirit here comes to convict us, comes to convict of righteousness, sin, and of judgment. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will, will speak the words that I've said to you, and they will help you to repent, help you to turn from sin, help you to turn from unrighteousness, help you to turn from, turn from judgment. And we know that judgment is coming, but we have no fear in the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out all fear. I'm closing. In, when we have an ideal, let me just recap. When we have an ideal, a standard, we have something we're able to move forward, well, upwards. And that moving upwards brings that positive emotion. We can't just do away with the ideal and then we do, if we do away with the ideal, we find we have no direction in life. And I don't know if you're on the side of a mountain, if you're not going upwards, well, you're probably falling backwards. But we, don't, we want to know where we're going in life, otherwise we get lost. And if we're lost, we, we don't have that positive emotion that comes with the incremental steps towards the ideal. If we don't have an idea where we're going and we're lost, and we don't know if we're moving in the right direction. We're just moving. And then we end up moving in circles and wandering. But we do have an ideal. As Christians, we know this is Christ. He is the highest ideal. And he is also uh, perfection, which also becomes the judge on our lives. He is the ultimate judge, the standard of perfection. This is why we look to Christ and we don't look to human beings who are fallible. But if we're feeling judged by others... You know, we're feeling that judgment somehow because our life isn't measured up. 
And it, maybe we know we've taken a wrong turn in life. And I want to pray right now. You know, that the Holy Spirit would just come and speak to us. And say, you know you've been going in the wrong direction. You've lived your life by human standards. You've thought by human will. You've been the one in your life that decides right and wrong. And we surrender ourselves to the Lord. We commit ourselves to him. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. As you look to me. Look to me. That's all Jesus said. Look to me. Just like the snake wrapped around the pole, Moses held up in the desert. The Israelites looked to them and looked at it and was healed. Jesus says, look to me. And when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone unto me. Lord, we want to lift you up in our lives. We want to glorify you in our lives, Lord. We want to stop putting other things in the way of, of you and elevating other things in our life above you. We want you to take your rightful place in our lives. It is the Lord, says in Jeremiah 29. Do not let the wise boast in their own wisdom and the mighty boast in their own might or the wealthy boast in their own wealth. I don't want to boast in my human wisdom. Paul says human wisdom is nothing compared to God's wisdom. don't want to boast in my own strength. And maybe that's been you. You've, you've tried to think your way out of things. Or maybe you're thinking according to a worldly standard or fleshly standard, which, you know, we don't want to do. We want to think the heavenly standard. Or maybe we think, you know, my own strength and my own might is something that I rely upon. Or my money or my lack of money. What am I boasting in? But he says that understand and know me that I am the Lord. I act steadfast love. I act in justice and righteousness. For all these things I delight, says the Lord. Let us not boast in ourselves. Let us not glory in ourselves as if by our own hand, our own might. You know, that's where the Israelites got in trouble. It wasn't me that did it. It was relying upon God himself. Lord Jesus, I just repent of any decision or any direction that I've gone away from you. I repent of entertaining evil ideas in my heart, evil thoughts towards others, condemnation and judgment towards others. And I ask for you to forgive me. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. I ask you to heal me and make me whole. Make me free as the sun sets free, that I can be free indeed. Help me, Holy Spirit, to walk step by step into your light, into your life, into the plans and purposes that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.